Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Ben-Murgy. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi. As I always do at the beginning of this uh, podcast, I clarify that I am indeed not a rabbi. I am a mashpiach. Uh, I am a uh, ordained spiritual director, horrible term director. I, I do spiritual counseling and workshops, uh, amongst other things. Uh, but, um, you know, it's interesting. I was just at a, uh, I virtually had to attend a men's retreat, a Jewish men's retreat. It's called JMR. It's part of an organization called Menchworks that I'm part of in the United States. So it's in Connecticut. So I, I couldn't get over the border. We're not allowed until next month. Um, so uh, do a land crossing, that is. Uh, and I've been going for, I don't know, about seven years now. It's uh, the 30th JMR just happened now. Uh, for any Jewish men out there who are looking for a, a Jewish renewal uh, kind of approach uh, to their uh spirituality and their religion. It's a wonderful weekend. Uh, I would strongly suggest it. So anyway, I was there uh, virtually, and it was very interesting to not actually feel the, the Sabbath service and, you know, the, uh, the, the breakout groups that we get into. Uh, but every year I, I do it, 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 um, it helps to kind of ground me again. It helps me to you know, be in the company, uh, in this case, uh, exclusively of Jewish men, but men who have gained an emotional uh, and spiritual vocabulary so that we can work together uh, to be intimate in our relationship as men, uh, as opposed to sitting there talking about uh, the Red Sox or the Blue Jays or, you know, whatever. Uh, it sounds it's a lot better to talk about life and where we're at and where we've been. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's kind of revealing in many ways. Uh, one of the things I find interesting is there is um, a, a kind of yearning out there for a spiritual life. And one of the things that was said, I interviewed uh, uh, Rabbi Mordechai Liebling, who's in the, in the States and uh, an activist. And it was about activism. Where, how do you, how do you in, in employ your spiritual life to become an activist for things you believe and care about. Uh, interesting, though, that you have to be careful that you think, okay, well, my activism is good, but your activism is bad. So if I don't agree with you, then, you know, you shouldn't, but I should. So anyway, one of the things he said that just caught me um, was the uh, reconstructionist Judaism version of what God is. Because uh, God gets used a lot as a word. And in this case, it was the life energy of the universe. And I thought that was wonderful because it's what I've been trying to articulate for myself and for other people when I work with them as a spiritual counselor is, let's put the God thing on the table for a second. And let's just say, is there no God in your life? And, you know, I mean, when people say there's, I don't believe in God. Uh, the, the, the answer is usually uh, from the counselor, well, tell me about the God you don't believe in. And you end up with this kind of, you know, guy on a throne with a beard and a naughty and nice list, which would be Santa Claus, but wouldn't be God. So the idea of the life energy of the universe really fits with my worldview. So I liked it quite a bit as a, as a kind of a paradigm from which to work. Um, so that was, I guess, one of my big takeaways from the weekend. It's, you get little nuggets, right? And uh, that was one of them because it helps me to... Uh, in my worldview, I, I, I'm more of a, I guess I, I look at the, the universe and think, you know, I'm nothing, but this is a moment, a human moment, and I should do whatever I can to be a good nothing, not a bad nothing. Because if you think about it, there's literally more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on the planet Earth. And that kind of knowledge allows a humility to be able to say, well, then if I'm just this little piece of this little piece of this little piece, then what am I doing here becomes, well, you can be a healthy part of that or a cancerous part of that. And that's enough work for one short mortal life. So uh, just wanted to share that with you as something that it's animated me in the last few days after the retreat. And uh, Boy, it's good to just do a retreat. I wish I could have been there in person again this year, but next year, not in Yerushalayim, but next year uh, in Connecticut is where I hope to be. All right, let's start. Um, Annette Poisner, psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, Kabbalist, 
and author, it, a busy person, is, <laughs> is, is my guest today. And uh, hi, how are you? Hi. Great to be here. Well, so if somebody says to you, what's this Kabbalah thing? Which is like a 17,000 word answer. But what, what do you tell them in, in the elevator on the way up? In the elevator. In the elevator, I, I like where you're going with the life energy of the world or the, how about the delicious life energy of the world, <laughs> right? At times, also, at times. Well, um, you know, you could say that sometimes we end up blocking our uh, receptivity uh, to, to the most delicious parts of it. Um, and some of our own or our de- ordeals may be a function of ways that we ourselves have not created a vessel that, that can properly, uh, you know, receive the nourishment, maybe we could say. So I think I, I would probably say that Kabbalah is the Jewish version of Chinese medicine or chakras in, in Hinduism and the yogic psychology, an energy model that can allow us how to work the system in a way that we can thrive and that we can potentially resolve longstanding um, psychological difficulties. Um, so that's like a real one-liner. How's that, you know? Well, yeah, <clears throat> interesting because, um, so I, I tend to, I come from the renewal movement. So for us, uh, the, uh, the short form for Kabbalah is the four worlds idea. Right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the the body, the heart, the mind, the spirit, and that we work in those, and often we kind of reside in one as, uh, as a sort of a refuge, a comfort, but we don't really access uh, all four at the same time in the way that we could. And I guess what you just said reminds me of the idea, which is prevalent in all mystic traditions, of availability. That you you, you got to be present and available to actually see the deliciousness that you're talking about, right? Yeah. And I liked that one of the rabbis, Adin Steinsaltz, wrote um, about the tree of life, which I, we're talking about the same energy model. And it signifies um, energy centers in the body and connective pathways. So let's call that the Jewish version of the chakras or the meridians. He likened it. He said, imagine if there's a system where you have birds that access their nutrient And if they'll just allow all the energy to come down in these pipes and channels, then they're going to have like great food. It's going to be good. The problem is sometimes the birds get a little overactive and they're pecking away. They end up destroying the model a little bit. They create a blockage over here. And if it's blocked over here, then it gets sort of overactive over here. There's now an imbalance in the energy thing and they can't get properly proper delivery of the nutrient that in fact is meant for them. Mm. So that was his way. I liked that way of, of thinking about it, in which case we now can look at when people are coming in with, with challenges, often longstanding challenges. I've been working with obsessive compulsive disorder for many years, that if you have this lens, you now see, ah, this particular sphera, uh, energy centers, we could call it, or divine attribute is, overactive. This particular one, each of which governs a psychological skill set or perspective, that one's blocked, deficient, and undeveloped. Ah, no wonder you could almost get a bit of a vision of what's happening in the circuitry. And and then that gives you a nice target for making some changes. It's literally like moving energy. So how do you then figure out what the diagnostic is when you're dealing with someone who comes in and says, um, I suffer from um, anxiety and, uh, you know, I have a what if life that is just driving me nuts. Uh, what, what is it that you can do in the 10 different containers that are the Kabbalistic tree? What is it you can do that can help that person? How do you find a way to do that? Okay. So first, first we have to talk about assessment and then we could talk about the, the movement of the, of the work. Okay. So the assessment, so I don't know if you're familiar with the work about Alfred Adler, but he came up with a fascinating test called the earliest recollection test. I've been using it for decades. You ask a person, there's a certain format for them to pull this together. You say, I'd like you to give over to me in writing your 10 earliest memories. 
a memory is defined not as something we used to go to the beach. It has to be something that happened once, okay? So, and then there's a format, vivid moment, vivid feeling. There's directions I give people. So that is one thing that I'm collecting from everybody. And now it's an interesting thing because of the structure of the world. If you ask somebody for 10 of anything, you are going to get, you were going to get a bit of a read on what's cooking with those 10 spherot. Because the first one, interestingly, is going to tell you something about Hochma, what's happening on, on that end. And the second one's going to tell you something about Bina. Um, what, and so what, what are Hochma and Bina, just for people who don't know? Okay, these are the divine attributes, each of which has their own name. And here's my little picture here. Yeah. Some people will recognize it. And those 10 attributes with those connecting channels are an energy grid which is really ours. This being known as the tree of life, as the infrastructure that the divine uses in the creation of this world, but because we're made in the image of the divine, it's also our energetic anatomy. So if you ask somebody for their 10 earliest memories, they, they're interpreted. And I and I said, my offer to you stands if you would like to uh, undergo this sort of assessment. I've done it with journalists probably 20 times or more. Um, and the work has been featured in dailies across Canada and trade magazines or whatever. Another thing that I'm doing is using the um, dreams. People come in, I say, please write down a few dreams, write down a few dreams you remember from childhood, if that's the case. Um, another thing, and this is part of my background, my inroad into this field, uh, psychology and social work, was the psychology of handwriting, which in Israel is called graphologia. And I am the author of, of a few books, but one of them is this one. It's Clinical Graphology, an Interpretive Manual for Mental Health Practitioners. This relates to my doctoral dissertation at the University of Toronto. Um, so I, basically I came to realize when I was analyzing handwriting, then learning Kabbalah, those principles a graphologist uses to interpret handwriting are, are the same principles we find in the tree of life in the spherode. So you can actually even look at signatures. You can get, um, you'll see all of this, the dreams, the memories, the handwriting um, will paint a picture of what's happening with the spherode. And, and it becomes, um, the first step is always doing this X-ray, so to speak, where people will get a download and it's gotta be jaw dropping. Did you talk to my mother? How do you know this? <laughs> And I got stories to tell, okay? <laughs> I didn't come in about that. How did you know I have this problem, right? right it's all, right. And, and you can show and explain it to people. So, how so that's you, the assessment. Yeah, yeah, okay, so that's crazy. Um, it is crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy. Uh, <laughs> but how do, you, how do you know you're doing the right thing at that point? Because one of the things about all the pieces you're pulling in at the same time is it could just be, well, that feels good. Well, that, that might be right. How do you distill that into something you can repeat and sustain with people? See, that's why I like to do this with journalists because then you'll tell me and the audience how it happens. Okay. Because what I'm doing, I've got to find the common link between the dreams the memories, the handwriting. Um, people are so fundamentally expressive. They shine out their life and their, their themes in everything they do. And Freud had this line where he basically said, if people are silent with their lips, they chatter with their fingertips. So I have to say, I have to say, okay, folks, you're the expert. I wanna tell you what I'm seeing here. Is this ringing any bells? And and it's really for the client to go like, oh my gosh, I never put that together. The other funny thing is people write down these memories and they're like, um, this, this lady's nuts. She thinks she's going to find something in here. Like I, this is, this is like rubbish. And then when I've worked it over, they're like, oh my gosh, it is so obvious. Now you can't not see it. Okay. Whatever the theme is, it's going, because we are repetitive. And we keep banging the same drum again and again. And, and again, I, you know, that's how I, my work has been featured in dailies across Canada, because I was, I would say to the journalist, 
test it. Let's do you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So people are like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> well, we might do me, but I want to talk more first. And not because I'm like, oh, I've, I've got to make sure you're here. Um, uh, I'm wondering, you spoke about the divine and the idea of this being, the tetragram being the divine blueprint, basically. How, how are you sure that this is a direct situation for you, that there is, a, there is an intelligent force of the universe and that we as humans in this little dirt ball in the middle of nowhere can actually discern what that is and that it's about us. So I'll tell you, um, the other area of intense interest for me is Chinese medicine, Chinese medical theory, which I've been studying um, for 20 years. And what fascinates me is the overlap between the ideas of Jewish mysticism and Chinese medical theory. And it therefore gives me the privilege of being able to to weave the commonalities between these two ancient peoples who are looking at reality with such a similar lens and finding, I'm finding like this hybrid of, of a model and an infrastructure that shines through through the languages of two different um, people who I consider almost older brother, younger brother, kid brother kind of energy. So um, for example, a a book that has been a huge influence for me is this one, Kabbalistic Writings on the Nature of Masculine and Feminine. Sarah Schneider, who I've studied with, is is a Kabbalist in the old city. And this was a turning point because of course, this is all about yin and yang. And and then to study such things from the Chinese perspective, you will find there is a a very um, definite order that emerges. And it's like we're doing Braille and we go, there it is. And how is it? Just to give you examples, the Chinese will talk about this higher soul. They call it the Shen. Well, mystically, we understand the Hebrew letters. The world is comprised of the Hebrew letters. And the shin is the, the shin, the Hebrew letter shin, right? There it is, folks. It's a fire and it makes the sound of fire. And we acknowledge it all the time. For example, if you want to say to the kids, can you keep it down? What are you saying? Now, what we're saying is the shin is, is that what you know, let's say a kid is yelling. So you don't say the kid is yelling. "Eh, eh," So you don't say. Eh, eh, don't do it <laughs> because the kid yelling is an expression of the Shen making noise. Shh. And what is this pathway? This is Dalit in, in our little map here. Dalit mm-hmm. goes from here down to here. Dalit is limitation. The four worlds, the number four um, in Chinese, they don't like that word because it sounds like death. You won't have a Chinese doctor meeting you in room number four, where the assumption is it's going to be like bad diagnosis and no Chinese are going to use that room. So my doctor used to have zero, one, two, three. Those were his rooms. Okay. So this mannerism is saying deploy the energy of limitation over your, your Shen, which is a little too active right now. So there were any number of ways we're, we're working with this infrastructure without even acknowledging that we have this infrastructure. Is that, is that clear? Yeah, but how, how do you, where's the certainty that this is divine in its uh, uh, emanation and that we are privy to this divine emanation in this universe of a trillion billion stars? Why else? Well, okay, but you know, because I'm interested in Chinese medicine, and because I'm interested in, um, you know, function. And, and on one hand, I have, I'm a member of the Canadian Association for Spiritual Care. But on the other hand, I'm a registered social worker. And on the other hand, I'm mostly working with secular people. Okay. So um, it doesn't, people with, with, you know, aren't particularly interested in, in spiritual. They just, they have an OCD or they have a problem and they want to get better. Okay. Mm. So. Uh, my, my perception is that this is divinity as it is shining in our lives, okay? But I think my clients would say there's some sort of organized energy that is um, predictable that we can find 
and and that seems to be reflective and and helping me um, somehow, you know, resolve blocks and and cultivate strengths and be more effective. So whether it is, you know, then you get into matters of personal faith. And I mean, I'm not a spiritual director, I'm a clinical social worker. And people are often calling me mainly um, because I've, I've helped people be with anorexia or OCD or weird and wonderful problems that haven't responded to conventional psychotherapy. So I have been able, I have some crazy stories where using these energy visions of understanding how how things would seem to be in the psyche as per Jewish mysticism and traditional Chinese medicine, what the ideal psyche looks like when it's balanced and healthy. Using that map has directed me in helping what may be uh, improving the flow of energy and as a side benefit, resolving and improving uh, complaints and symptoms that people have struggled with for a long time. So you don't need uh, me to believe that this is a divine plan. No, but you and, I, do. and I don't talk about it. No, but I you, don't talk. But about you it. do believe it's a divine. Plan. I do believe it. Yeah. Right. Well, I'll tell you. Cards on the table. I'm an Orthodox Jew. Okay. So uh, that means an even more detailed plan, right? Because there's there's a whole geography and architecture to Orthodoxy, where there, you know, I've, I always say to people, for someone who's Orthodox. Friday night and Saturday, the Shabbat, the Sabbath, is not something we go, nah, maybe this week I'll do it. You do it because that's part of the plan. You're supposed to do it to realize the bigger plan. So there, there is a whole structure there. Why that? Why did you, why do you choose orthodoxy uh, and not um, what I do, for instance, renewal, which is, or reconstructionism or whatever? Why, why, why choose that as your you path? You know, my path, I'll tell you, I went to day school and then I, I, I didn't find it all that convincing. So I left, so I left it, right? And then, I, you know, in, in order to get back in, it had to be compelling for me. And it made a lot of sense when I was doing some studies in my twenties, it kind of all fit together for me. Um, and then certain teachers who have made a huge imprint, um, uh, you know, real geniuses in the Orthodox community. So probably, one of the people who really got me going with both Judaism and with healing, use of Judaism within healing is Rabbi Akiva Tatz. He's a medical doctor. This book, Living Inspired, he presents in it a model of reality. And I thought it was brilliant. And I guess you could say that model of reality would relate to this infrastructure that we're talking about. He teaches a lot of mysticism. I was sold. I was sold. So that's personal. But I work a lot with non-Jews is the truth. So, you know, I'm not talking to them about keeping Shabbat or anything like that. Um, so, you know, anyway, but it's I, I'm interested. I do a lot of reading and I've certainly enjoyed some of the um, renewal. Uh, Rabbi Shal Shalom Shakti. Uh, yeah, Shakti Shalomi. Shakti right. Zalman Shakti Shalom. Zalman Shakti, yes, right. And um, there's other people who you probably are aware of. There's a, a social worker on my shelf. She wrote a book called Sacred Therapy. I thought it was fabulous. Right. Yeah, it's a good book. Estelle um, Kaplan. I I, I, well, I've got it somewhere in here. A fabulous yeah. book. Yeah. So uh, those, I do read, uh, you know, in, the, in that category as well. But um, I'm comfortable in that I'm more modern Orthodox, I think I'd say, but yeah, you know, yeah, that's where my comfort zone is. Hmm, interesting. So we're taking the not so old tradition of psychotherapy, right? The much older idea of uh, Kabbalistic Judaism. Um, so when you look at Torah, a Bible, Old Testament. Do you see it as metaphorical or do you see it as literal? I see it as um, multi-layered and all of, all of the above and more. I see it like this hidden coded mysterious text that, that allows us to constantly visit and go in yet another deeper layer. And on a superficial level, 
I see it. And I'm, I, I do actually quote uh, a lot, like Lech Lecha is the hero's journey, as something that each person um, will have to go through their Lech Lecha, leave the home of your father, go to the land, you know, I'm going to show you. I'm, I am constantly citing, I, you know, my joke to my clients is, oh yeah, I work so hard to give you a good Jewish education, right? And all the Catholic <laughs> girls and the Chinese and, right? Do you mention to them that in Lechlecha you end up at a place yes, where there's a famine? There's a famine it? when you get there. There's a drought. When- <laughs> I know. That's the point. Who would want to go? Who would want to and go? Yes. And that's exactly where you are. And it's calming to people because like they thought they were taking this like departure. Yeah. And I said, quoting Rabbi Tatz, the, it's an ordeal. The departure is absolute and the destination is unknown. The thing I like about Lech Lecha, well, there's many things, but Lech and Lecha are the same word, okay, with different punctuation. They equal, if you use the numerology of the letters, 50, 50, 50, there's our 100. Lech is yang, go. Lecha is yin, to yourself. And it's like, that's what Chinese medicine would say. Whatever your neuroses from childhood, Lech Lecha means go to your inner yin yang, cultivate it. You know, if there were certain neuroses that took, just that's your family of origin. Come on, it's time to let go of that. Okay, grow up. You know, let's let's take those shackles and and let them go. So, you know, moving on now. <laughs> just when you said grow up, I just thought, okay, so you're kind of a tough th- a therapist at oh, times. I am a tough therapist. I am. <laughs> I am. The, uh, one time, a client was asked, "Do you know a therapist?" She said, "Well, let's put it this way." I know two. One of them is, you know, the really, you know, nice. This one, she said, the other one's like tough love. The woman says, I think I need tough love. <laughs> so she became my client. Oh boy, it's so interesting. <laughs> I mean, there is a yearning, right? There is a yearning for meaning, but there's also a yearning to, you know, to be free. And yet, if you look at I've always loved the idea that, you know, the Israelites get out of Egypt, they're supposedly free, and and all they can do is whine and complain and want to go back because it gave them good structure, you know. So when you're dealing with people who are in a therapeutic process, they may come to you and say, I want to be better. But do they really want to be better? Or are they just hoping that you will aha moment them and they'll be boom, fine? I think it's pretty universal that people are basically coming in and saying, love this, love that, love this. Could you keep all that the same? Just if we have a little erase, we're going to, right? And that's where all these memories and dreams come into it. Because I'm like, okay, well, let's look under the hood. Let's just look under the hood. And then I can say what, you know, what is, does this make sense to you? I mean, the, the client has the last word if it makes sense but it, it tends to make sense. And then it's like, hmm. So now we're in, we have a contract, meaning I'm saying, if you fix the overall structural imbalance, not only will you achieve that outcome, but you'll have many improvements in your life, but you have to change, you know? Or you could keep trying to look for something that's gonna just erase this. And I always say it, because when you do hypnosis and when you have treatment, uh, uh, treat, um, how do you call it, training in hypnosis, then people like to think of that as the magic bullet. Just, just erase this. Would you just erase yeah. that? And I, I, I don't want to set up that expectation because um, it seems to be that people need whatever restructuring. Let's think about the symptom as needing to birth what it wants to be when it grows up. And they're mm-hmm. in a labor pain. And if the labor pain was sort of a little further along, what would it look like? Right, right. So what does hypnosis bring to this conversation? Um, Well, I, I think we're always in some variant of hypnosis or hypnotic trance or concentrative experience. So, you know, that's not the big focal point. I do it um, here and there, but I'm doing some imagery work with people and using some techniques. If you're familiar with neuro-linguistic programming or EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, yeah. 
I consider myself an engineer. My brother's an engineer, my father's an engineer, uh, and my mom was a teacher. So I'm a little hybrid of something between an engineer and a teacher. And sometimes people need a little bit of orientation to where they are in the, the you know, their lifestyle and how they're living and what are the sequelae of how they're living, right? That's the teaching part. But there's other things about really doing structural change that involves um, technical work with people. So, and the, the hypnosis- oh, Yeah, may, EMDR. So it's used in uh, PTSD, for instance, right? But it's also used a different way. It's used for ego strengthening or resource installation. Ego strengthening or resource installation. In right. other words, finding uh, parts of yourself that are underdeveloped that are needed to help you to, to be better. Yes. Okay. And you could think about them since we've been talking about this model mm-hmm. is that the 22 pathways each represent a Hebrew letter. And those Hebrew letters each represent skill sets or archetypes that uh, Jung would talk about them as archetypes that are essential for our integration and for shining out these archetypes in order to have the proper flow. So for me, sometimes I'm looking at what I've seen in terms of what the pattern, what the energetic landscape looks like. And then I gotta go, hmm, what are the archetypes that are gonna help open things up over here? Ah, we need a little of this and we need a little of that. And um, you, you know, and I start, and that's where the ego strengthening comes in because you want to get a feel for where this particular archetype uh, plays a role. What's the mother archetype like in their situation? Mm-hmm. A lot of people have a problem uh, in terms of how they're mothering themselves, for example, and how their mother mothered herself because they often take in the mothering, not they were mothered fine, but their way mother mothered herself might have been self neglecting, masochistic even. Uh, these things get imprinted and then they become patterns that we replicate and then may find partners who are um, neglectful and who are emissaries of of poor mothering themselves at at the same time as they're not good um, at mothering others. There's all these dynamics play out and we have all these archetypes in us. So it's it's interesting to explore the subcomposite parts of personality that we find within and to rearrange how they're functioning. So you draw from so many different things, but you see a commonality. There's something universal that says, if it's Chinese medicine or Kabbalah or- Or Carl Jung. Or Jung or hypnotherapy or, but what is that piece that makes you go, this is all part of the same thing? And it it shines out. It is, um, you know, I just heard a wonderful shiur by Rabbi Mendel Kesson. He talked about in the messianic time, what is the tool of the, the messianic character who relates to Yosef, which is the character who sort of comes to bring um, clarity on the, the world and, and helps people to understand that that's the point at which they say, the knowledge of God will be as uh, widespread as the water in the ocean. If you've heard that, yeah. was I, Isaiah, maybe. Anyway, so he gave the example that the tool of the Messiah is the horns of the ox. And it was fascinating because he's pointing out what is the horns of the ox represent? It's the zone of chokhmah or wisdom. And it comes from this part of the animal. And you see a horn that goes in, and he said that represents the unity frame where we see everything as related to everything else, where Mm. we see a master, uh, it's maybe call it like, we know about the Fibonacci code, Mm -hmm. right? In other words, we have certain numbers that we find repeated in nature Um, or, or here, how's about this? We have the Hebrew letter Hey, which is the number five. So we have five books of Moses. There's five mentions of the light at the beginning of Genesis. And one commentator says, ah, that's the fivefold light at the root of creation. In Genesis, there are four rivers and the source river. There's five rivers. So there's five waters as well. 
Um, and we use, of course, the Hebrew letter hey, number five, for a short name for divinity, if we don't want to use the tetragrammaton, right? And Chinese medicine just happens to talk about five element theory. And um, there's a wonderful correlation between five element theory and any number of things going on in Judaism. Then, so, the, okay, oh, yeah. so, so we're all, you know, um, there's a, a, a book uh, Matthew Fox wrote called One River, Many Wells. Okay. Right. I haven't read it. Right. So it's just the idea of what you're talking about for, for me is making me think of, you know, we, in our own ways, in different cultures, in different parts of the world, we're, we're going after the same yearnings and we're going after the same answers. Uh, we're just finding them different. It's like the, the idea of the flood story. Every culture right. has a flood story. Exactly. You know, we just, in ours, uh, we just went past the Noah story, which is our flood story, um, which, you know, if you, so I guess w when you see something, you kind of see a diamond that you just keep turning the different facets yes. of, right? That's exactly right. By the way, my Hebrew name is Hannah. Chain mm -hmm. is the number that's Chet uh, Nun, is the number 58. And 58, uh, I understand, at least it used to be the most common cut of a diamond. And chain is grace. So it's as if we are ourselves with all these different facets and we keep cutting the diamond. That's a great name for a therapist. Chain, hey, how do we find the five elements or the five quintessential, because quinta is five, aspects of self that can be shaped with all these little razor cuts. So we find the diamond in the world, we find the diamond in reality, and we find the diamond in ourselves, and we shape and buffer and cut, and right? And in so doing, we get magnificent changes. And okay, you, you gotta write that down now because this is the intro to your next book, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this is the you're next gonna get book. Off and you, you're gonna get off and you're gonna go, what the, what the diamond, the five? Yeah, that's right, that's right. But how did I say that? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. In, I used to work in comedy years ago and you know, somebody would, uh, in, the, in the writing room would say something very funny and three people would turn to, all to each other and to whoever else was in the room and go, write that down, write that down. You got to write that down. Because if you get the one word wrong, it's no longer funny. That's exactly right. Right. And by the way, that's one of my books is called Knock Knock, The Kabbalah of Comedy, The How, Why, and What of Funny. And the reason I did that is because over COVID, it's like, hmm, well, you know, I sort of gave up my offices. I was working more online or whatever. Thought, you know what? Let's visit Mary Tyler Moore and Rhoda from yesteryear. Because I used to love those shows. Sure. And I haven't watched TV. Those were funny Jewish humor, by the way. <laughs> Unmatched. Unmatched. Ooh, I have something uh, to say to you. <laughs> oh, okay, let's hear it. Let's Get hear out, it. Ted. Get out, Ted. No, <laughs> This is no, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So when I came back to Mary Tyler Moore and I watched that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is complete Kabbalah. And basically what I did is went through, I'm telling you, you can look at the Mary Tyler Moore show as a Jewish morality play. And there are layers and layers of Kabbalah that, that have uh, these Jewish, brilliant Jewish writers who don't even know they're channeling this stuff genetically and don't even realizing that they are doing classic Jewish teachings. And with the brilliant idea of making the Jewish girl, the one, the, the non-Jewish one is like the teacher is the tzaddik, okay, the elder who sort of you know, figures out how to, or the good one. How about that? The good one. Right. And the bad one, so to speak, is the Jewish one. It's all written by Jews. What right. a better way to put a morality lesson out, but having <laughs> good laughs at the same time with one pivot who is like the good one with all these nut bars around, yeah. all these extreme characters. <laughs> and anyway, it goes on and on. I've got like a hundred page book about wow. the Kabbalah of comedy. So the, the lens you have found a way to see the world through this lens. Yes. Without, yeah. see, for I think for a lot of people, um, Kabbalah, Kabbalah is intimidating. 
you know, uh, the, the 10 different uh, sirots or containers and the lower realms, the higher realms, the interconnection between them, trying to remember which one is which and where they go. And for a lot of people, they just pass, which I think is why sometimes the, the teachings become about four worlds and not 10 sirot and 22 yes. pathways, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, which I understand because that's what I ended up with. It's like, I don't think I can keep all this in my head and and do it properly so if i came into okay i'll give you a dream of mine from when i was a kid you okay. want to you want to try this yeah one? let's let's do, let's do all right so uh grew up uh came from morocco two years old youngest in the family grew up in downtown toronto not not midtown downtown toronto uh so i used to have this dream where i was on uh, one of the old uh, red and white uh, streetcars okay Right. And I was with my mother and uh, it would at a certain point, it would stop and the doors at the back would open and the streetcar would tilt and start tilting more and more towards the street and everything sliding. And I'm trying to hold on to my mother, but I can't. And I'm going to go out the door. Okay. And. I'm really scared. I'm small. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little kid. And uh, I am lost uh, control and power. I'm gone. I'm, I'm going out this door. And often, often there would be, um, which was quite common in the uh, late 1950s in Toronto, you would see people who were crippled. Uh, polio, the big shoe, that kind of thing. Uh, so there would always be one of those characters in the streetcar as well. And then I would go towards the door and, and be in complete panic. And then the dream would be over. I, I wouldn't get out the door. I would just go. I, I knew I was going out the door. Wait, wait when you go, are you going um, on your own steam or are you being no. kind of swept out the door? Yeah, I'm being swept out the door because I, I, I nothing to hold on to. And I'm just trying to not leave. And I out I go. Okay. So I used to have that every once in a while. And okay, so that's recurrent dream. Yeah. So, so right there. Uh, and of course, I would need to ideally to see the 10 memories because that's going to be the big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that dream, what we're at the first place I go, it has to do with um, a Gvura situation. It's a dream that's reminding you that there are unknown, powerful uh, forces that can emerge out of in a, in a very mundane situation. In other words, it's a dream that is designed to um, enhance detail focus, uh, caution, precision. Um, um, in other words, there's this two aspects of yin and yang, okay? Yin is, imagine yin as the brakes and imagine yang as the accelerator. Okay, we've got those two in the car, that's our yin and yang. Now, the, the car, the um, streetcar is moving. Okay, there, now, as soon as something's moving, you can't be, as soon as something's moving, you have less control, right? Right. As soon as something stops, you have full control, okay? So in this moving car, suddenly it's moving, but you're not in control of how it's moving and, and what's moving. And now it's starting to move in ways it's not really supposed to move. And you're not only, uh, is it hard for you to integrate and, and, and cope with it, it's actually going to just move you right out of, of a situation that has a definition into a situation that sounds dangerous and precarious, right? So it's as if um, yin, we said, is the brakes, yang is, so it's as if the, the, this particular sphera is kind of saying, you know what, you just can't be too careful. You just never know whether the forces of dynamism, the luminosity in the world that allows things to come and and thrive and glitch and and flow, can that really be trusted? Or is it going to glitch in a way that ends up being almost uh, life-threatening, you could almost say. So we could say, so let's say I had to predict and guess, then maybe I'm gonna guess that as a kid, you're gonna check things a few extra times. You're gonna be kind of precise in your work and you're going to have more sorts to be control issues that, you know, it's going to be hard to just go with the flow because there's um, a root issue that as if it's saying, I don't trust flow so much, you know, like, I don't know, like that's where unseen forces take over and just 
express things in a different way that I didn't think was going to happen. So that's, does that speak hmm. to you? Does that? Uh, it does. Well? I mean, I, I didn't, I don't think I grew up as somebody who had control issues. I, I don't think I'm a particularly con- controlling kind of guy. Uh, but I do know that being an immigrant and being a little kid in a, in a, a city where they speak English, we speak Spanish, for instance, uh-huh. Uh-huh. right? Right. Where I am not in control of my circumstances and situation because I'm just a little kid uh, in Kensington Market in Regent Park, where we really had no control over the situation. And it was a very precarious one. You had to understand the code and the format. Uh, So the format for me was, you know, who are these people and how do they behave and what do they do? And the code, like, I'll give you an example. When I was a teenage, late teenager, my best friend would always find us jobs. I never found them. And he found us one. Uh, working on a construction site in a subdivision where we had to put in the socket uh, covers and things like that. And lunch break or uh, the break happened at 1030 in the morning and the, the horn went from the snack truck. And I went out there and I had to understand what is the code of these workers. Mm, and so yep. they swear every fourth word. Oh, wow. Because that's how you talk. Everything has an F in it. So that I had to do. But the other thing was at the time, I think it was 19, I was smoking cigarettes and I had a cigarette on the end of my fingers. So I was smoking it like this with my legs crossed. And I looked around at everybody and I realized wrong format, wrong code. Mm -hmm. So I turned Mm -hmm. the cigarette in towards me so I would smoke it like this. Uh Uh-huh right towards my mouth and a fist. And I uncrossed my leg so that one leg was sort of on a 90 degree angle dangling above the, the resting leg so that I look like them and talk like them because as an immigrant, you have to know how to do that. So, so, so I think you're right. I think that's what it is. You're coming from a different environment. You're thrown in the busyness. You're not even in the suburbs. Like it's very dynamic downtown and all the different ethnicities and this. Yeah. And it feels like a whirling vortex. And there you are on a TTC bus, which is a metaphor for here I am in Toronto in the thick of all the busyness. Right. Mm. And it feels and therefore. But but you see that um, the focus on how to do it and the reading of it. That's it. That is I got to use my Gvuradik detail conscious, like read it. Be very careful. You've got to read these intense patterns, sort yourself out. When we're, when we're a little anxious, we'll get detail focus. So, so, you know, that's how it works. You sort of throw in a dream and then you, you know, I'll go with something and then you sort of refine how, how it feels. Yeah. 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 Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So two more things. Okay. Angels. Okay. So in my spiritual direction training, at one point we had to do uh, the uh, rabbi teaching us, uh, we were doing uh, angels and I'm under, you know, inside my head, I'm like, oh, for God's sake, don't be ridiculous. And then she, of course, turns right to me and says, and you'll be doing a presentation on angels. <laughs> and I said, I said, rabbi, uh, really, honestly, you know, I, I have a lot of trouble with this. She said, Perfect. I'm looking forward to your dissertation. <laughs> so uh, it was very interesting because I, in my own work now, I use angel meditations as ener- energetic uh, being, uh, energetic flows, not, you know, John Travolta with wings on and chains <laughs> in the kitchen. Um, so for me, I, I use four angels. I use um, Michal for love, Gabriel for strength, Uriel for purpose and vision, and Raphael my angel for healing. Yes. Yes. I was going to say. (laughs) So I use that to help people to feel like they have protection and they have safety and that they, they can focus uh, anything through that lens and go around with it and take each one with them. You start with love, you move it to love and strength, love and strength can give you purpose and vision and then purpose and vision need healing and support. Right. So I, I find it, it was really fun. And I'm wondering in your work, where do angels land, if at all? So I have to say, and I've done the reading and, oh, I just need to say my little tangent. Okay. Because I always look up a person's name in terms of the meaning. The Talmud teaches that the only prophecy that exists in this world is uh, functionally is when parents name children. 
So I forgot to mention when we're talking about other things, I want to look at the person's name, understanding something of their essence is going to be coming through in their name. So when you mentioned angels and I thought, uh huh, Raphael, there you go. (laughs) 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 Right. Um, So, uh, so, okay. You know, I am a clinical social worker and um, I don't, I don't really talk about angels. So, um, you know, I feel that my work is directed, uh, <clears throat> spiritually infused, but I, I need to meet my people where they are. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But in you your know, life, so, in your life. Oh, in my life? Um, in my life. Well, I mean, I'm more interested. Like, the, for example, vis-a-vis dreaming, there's this idea, and I have a source about it. That when the person, the soul leaves, and I have had an interesting uh, kind of out of body experience waking up only once in my life that allowed me to be as if above the body as I was waking up to experience being out of the body when I was alerted it was the funniest thing. I, I'm, I wake up, like my body is frozen, but I wake up and I hear someone breathing. Like, who's, who's here? Who's here? <laughs> right? Like, I was like, oh my gosh. So I quickly wake myself up. And in the course of doing it, I feel this experience of kind of going as if, and the breathing was me. (laughs) So when I, from that, it was like, I was heard someone breathing two feet away, Mm -hmm. but it was me anyway. So there was nobody there. So um, anyway, so the thing is when we dream or we go up and if we're intermingling with more positive angels, then we can have some dreams that are really guidance and you know helpful we could also have negative dreams there's angels out there that are more of a negative force in which case you don't look at every dream and go oh this is genius this is sometimes it's a form of corruption that is uh you know a neurosis that has taken the the conch and is uh uh, giving a a negative message so uh, you know i've i've read about all the angels I, i don't know if you know the work of rabbi yitzhak ginsburg but no. I did study, he has a school called the Jewish School of Psychology, I believe. And I was an online student there for a few years. And um, he, his books, I've got maybe about 12 of his books and wow. I, I enjoy his work. So yeah, I think I read, you know, I've, I've done some reading, but yeah, that's not. Um, it sounds like it's one of those pieces that isn't central to what you do, but it's, it's an idea. It's an idea and I honor it, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't really work with my crowd. I have a lot of like business people and doctors and, you know, like. Yeah, it works for me in a guided meditation sense. I don't, you know, I don't sit with someone and go, so you're angels. And they're like, hey, man, <laughs> what are you right, talking that's about? That's what my concern would be. You yeah. know? <laughs> but, but if you use it as a guided meditation, people are already uh, sur- uh, surrendering the idea of logic to the idea of presence. Absolutely. Right? Right? And so I support that. what you're doing. Because I think what's happened is secular psychology in an age where religion has been uh, released, secular psychology has become its own religion with with therapists as the new ministers and the new rabbis, so to speak. Sure. And I think devoid of religion, this is where psychology is failing, that we need to bring um, religious sensibility and perspectives that sometimes this is why how you can help people who haven't been helped by cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, I'll have to redesign that thought. Let's see if that works out. Right. So, uh, you know, I think it, it I know, but re- religion is, has uh, so much uh, baggage and so many wounds in it right now in terms of, you know, what a human being does with the ideas of religion that I, 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 for a lot of people, it's just not on the table. It's just, you know what? No, but it's, we're throwing I, the baby out with the bathwater, Right. Well, tell me, why? Because, yes, religion has been abused and misused, whatever. But what we were not appreciating is any number of things that religion was doing well, right? Whether it's creating a mentality of can do, let's let's everybody cook up a storm and help the lady down the street with, you know, her new baby. There's any number of sensibilities. um, And it gave us an outlet for for religious orientation. Right now, I think what's happening is people bring religion into their politics. They, and you know, the new, I mean, not that recycling isn't important, but it becomes, it can become, anything can become a religious ritual, which then becomes religiousized 
And, and then and anything that become more, there's an orthodoxy to the or a, a fixed mindset, you know, Carol Dweck uh, approach that yeah. people have that it is and it is and it is and that's that. And as opposed to a growth mindset, I often say with people and anyone who's listened to my podcast knows this one uh, is that spirituality is about relationship to yourself, to others, into the universe, into the earth. Yep. But religion is an attempt at a fitness program. Right, that that you you got to use your your Shabbat dumbbells to to actually have six days of doing and one day of being. You've got to be able to. You, the religion itself gives you uh, rituals for life and death and marriage and children and all those things, um, and it gives you community uh, by saying if we just do this part together, then you know, like I know people often who, you know. I had somebody who uh, was a major part of a synagogue. He was there every week. And he said, you know what? Praying means nothing to me. Like, I, I don't actually connect to this idea that there's a God. And I said, but you're here every week. And he said, Ralph, I'm here for Kiddush. I'm here for sitting with people and eating and talking and, and getting, you know, watching people grow up and people get old and people die and all of that. So because there is an architecture there, he can live in that house of religion. Right. Well, beautiful, but that's but religion has all of this in it. And even though people may struggle with certain things, the beauty is you can come in the door, find a little nook and cranny that you can unpack. There's so many nooks and crannies mm -hmm. and, and don't don't throw it out. So, you know, I I have had clients. I have one client, not Jewish, who ended up going to Israel and she's involved in the Kabbalah Center now. And she got really into Kabbalah. She went 10 days to Israel for like $4,000. Oh, she was, she, she's like, it's so funny to me. So, but but other times, you know, some, sometimes clients will get into their own religion. Sure. Right? Like, you know, so, and and it's like, religion does give people something that their, their digital uh, technology doesn't. So folks, um, you know, it's time to revisit that. And I hope I can be the person who brings a whiff of that and pointing them in their own direction so that they can unpack it and bring a, a richness, a depth that maybe they haven't had in a secular society and wouldn't get from a secular therapist. Yeah, Yuval Hariri wrote uh, Homo Deus, yeah. besides oh. Homo sapiens. Sapien. Oh, I know. okay. Yeah, he's got another book, Homo Deus. And part of his, from what I'm, I'm almost finished, but what I, I'm gathering is, we are now God. Yes. Right. First, we had uh, this God over there. Uh, and then about 300 years ago, humanism started to take shape. And now we have humanism in full bloom. Uh, but that's not doing it. So now we're moving to, to tech, a techno God, a techno deus, where mm -hmm. Google and Amazon, the, the, they actually have programs on immortality, how to find a way to live forever. Right. So that kind of lack of humility, that hubris is, 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 this is why I worry about this idea that of all the trillion billion stars, us as people have this relationship with the divine that is exclusive. So for me, it's just like, you know, maybe we should stop thinking like, it's like the chosen people meta, uh, part of Judaism, which I find highly problematic because it breeds exceptionalism. It breeds, you know, how many Nobel prizes per capita and just like, you know what? That's not what this is supposed to be about, that we're better than everybody else. We choose to be part of what everybody else is and, and help with all those things. Okay, one more thing. One more thing. What happens when we die? What our, our, when we die, our luminosity returns to its point of origin. And at that moment, we are able to enjoy the fruit of everything that we have achieved. And in the same way, you know how you, you look forward to something. I can't wait till my wedding, the publication of my book, my, the, the, these landmark things. And when it comes, you notice there's no moment like, oh, it's so, it was so fab. No, it, it's like, we wait, we wait, we wait, we wait, wait. And then, and then it's like, well, what's my next thing to, to really work towards? So the, the mystical idea, as I understand it, is that moment of halishing. It's like, oh, it's fabulous. That's then. That's then. So do it now. And you're really going to just have your Sally meets Harry moment. But do you have to be a good person to, to get there? Or does it matter how you've behaved? Uh, and are you really a, uh, in any way a corporeal being that's still Annette or Ralph? Or, or are you just part of this, the stardust of the universe? 
oh no, you have, um, you have a, a relationship both to your own, one foot in your own identity and one foot into the magnitude of, of, of nothingness and everything. And everything that you have done when you have been only on your own team and not melding in and creating something for the greater good, yeah, that registers and it's a source of pain. And anything that you did, which was your exquisite little bit that helped the whole world and, and the unity project function better is, is going to be like, it's going to be fabulous, right? Like that. That's how I understand it. Uh, right. So, but that would require that we believe there is uh, the human version of good and bad. That, that ours is actually, it's right. Uh, well, what, well, well, let's put it this way. I think we need some kind of hierarchy that helps us understand how to aim. Um, we want to aim from here. We want to somehow make something better. We have to have some kind of value system where we kind of go, ah, well, here it is now, but if five years I was in a way that I would be help, happier, things would be better, what is that? So we got to kind of come up with some hierarchy where we see a destination that we feel we, is worthy of our, our aim, right? Well, well, there you go, because in the Jewish version of sin is not a bad deed. It is actually a bad aim. Right. Mm. Right? Yeah, nice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, that's the strange part. Yeah. All right. Tell me two books of yours that you'd like people to know about. Well, I have... Because you have uh, about a million, so tell me two. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So, uh, this one, Kabbalah Cafe, is at Israel's bookstore right now, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Minds. And these, this, I am taking um, essays where I take classical concepts in psychology, bridge them with Kabbalah, bridge them with Chinese medicine, and showing that intersection where um, lots of ideas come together, showing one core truth through different traditions or lenses. And then, of course, the one... I, I really enjoy doing it. I think it's really interesting is also at uh, Israel's bookstore right now, which is called the uh, Knock Knock, the Kabbalah of Comedy and the How, Why and What of Funny. And uh, if we have any Mary Tyler Moore fans, I, you, you got to read it. Okay. <laughs> You're going to go like, oh my gosh, that's absolutely true. And who knew? Didn't it kill you that on Seinfeld, no one ever says they're Jewish? And yet the entire you know, show couldn't be more Jewish if it tried. You know, I have to admit, I only watched five episodes very recently and I didn't, I did not have a major connection to Seinfeld. I have to admit. So you, I, you didn't see it as, as a bunch of Jews in the New York apartment. Okay, I did. Because it was. <laughs> yes, I did. I did see that, but I did not because I, I feel it was not as funny as, as, some of the stuff going on on Rhoda on Mary Tyler oh are gosh. totally different. It's a it's a different kind of comedy. It is yeah. Uh, it, it's 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 an it's it's from the school of irony, you know, and, and slapstick and, a little bit. Well, but also um, really taking the essence of observational stand-up. Did you ever notice when you're walking? You know, oh, th that's what he. I is. liked that. I yeah. like that piece. Him doing yeah. those little. Pe I thought there was good good and, stuff and, in there. That and it's, and that's the root of what the next like the, the person who has to go pee so badly they pee in a parking lot and they can't find when they can't find their car. That's the kind uh, of thing where it's like, oh my god, yeah, people do that. I know. I did, right. I did that once when I was. You know, that's the kind of crazy of it. So that's, that's right. what he's doing. He's saying, the, uh, yeah, and I appreciate that. Let, yeah. let me revise my comment. Yeah, yes, but I but am. for Mary Tyler Moore, it's, it's it's much more about situational comedy. Yes, you know, which is another classic form. Dick Van Dyke show. Yes. You know, that, that was a whole Sheldon Leonard thing. Everybody did that at that point. All right. Don't yeah. get me into comedy. I'll never get out. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, Annette Poisner has been my guest on Not That Kind of Rabbi. A wonderful conversation. I, Thank I, you. I, I've so much enjoyed it. Oh, good. Uh, your many interests. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And hopefully we'll talk again. We'll find something to pick on and then uh, we'll co-write a book. That'll be fine. Okay, for sure. And I'm looking, I'm waiting for your memories, sir. Okay. If you, if you want to follow up with me, not online. Then, yes, uh, that would I'm be in. nice. Not online is always a good idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. You take care of yourself. Okay. You too. You too. Uh, I'm Ralph Benmergi. The By the way, I have a book that has just come out called uh, I Thought He Was Dead. It's a spiritual memoir. And I'd love for you to uh, uh, take a look. Um, there's some stuff on Facebook about it right now. Uh, it is available now. Amazon, for some reason, is taking forever uh, to get it out the door. But if you want it, uh, go to info at Wolsack and Win. 
W-O-L-S-A-K, Wolsack and Win, one word, Wolsack and Win, with no E on the Win, W-Y-N-N, Wolsackandwin.ca. So info at Wolsackandwin.ca, and you can get a copy of I Thought He Was Dead. Uh, it was a pleasure to write. Uh, people are being very kind about it. So if you're interested, please do that. And check me out on the Canadian Jewish News' uh, website for my podcast that I do for them called Yehupitzville, about Jews who live in far-flung places. Uh, uh, I enjoy doing that one as well. You take care of each other, and we'll see you soon. I'm not that kind of rabbi. Bye.